Today, Bishop Earl and I finish our discussion about the LDS criticism of today's polygamy groups. Next, on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Last show, we talked about LDS Church President John Taylor's alleged vision in 1886 where he said that Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith visited him in an all-night vision specifically for the purpose of giving him and a select group of men irrevocable priesthood authority to administer the principle of polygamy. This allegedly also guaranteed that polygamy would remain active in Mormonism in perpetuity. We also discussed the subsequent eight-hour meeting that John Taylor called the next day, which included the five faithful Mormon men for the purpose of ensuring the perpetuation of plural marriage. Well, these five men were some of the original men of the Mormon fundamentalist polygamy movement, and they played huge and influential roles in what became Mormon polygamy breakoff groups. John Taylor explained the vision Uh, to these five men and then extended to them the authority to perform future plural marriage ceremonies. In other words, they had the keys (laughs) to perform plural marriages in God's name. Now, I'm sure the Mormon church would really disagree with that, and they do disagree with it. But all of this, of course, is according to Mormon fundamentalist beliefs. In fact, each Mormon polygamy group today stands solid in the belief that the vision and the eight-hour meeting is the source of their authority to be the only true group of God's people on the planet. Now, of course, they can't all be true but they can all be wrong. Now, today's show is part two of the topic. We gathered some of our information from a book uh, that I found very interesting reading. It's called The Polygamy Story, Fiction and Fact, and it was written by J. Max Anderson, published in 1979. And the author of the book was born and raised in Richfield, Utah. He was just a bed of Mormonism. He, he served an LDS mission in Sweden. He was a Sunday school president. He served as a 70s president four times. He was a ward clerk, and he was heavily involved in local missionary work for the LDS church. He was a committed <clears throat> Mormon, and he was against contemporary polygamy. Now, he studied the fundamentalist material and polygamy groups for many years before he wrote the book. So it includes information, good, solid information about the history of Mormon fundamentalism. Of course, he approaches it from a contemporary LDS viewpoint. And although he is against today's polygamist's lifestyle, he is not against the early polygamy that Joseph Smith (laughs) preached and lived. That's pretty typical. That's typical. And that's what the problem that we find in this whole topic we're talking about this time. He approaches polygamy based on the idea that God commanded or sanctioned the 1890 Manifesto to stop polygamy, which was finally accomplished in 1904 by the mainline Mormon Church. Now, this book is very critical of John Taylor's vision and the meeting and harshly critical of those who later told the story. 
He critically analyzes the entire fundamentalist movement, questions the veracity of the witnesses of the meeting and the details surrounding all of the events as they've been recorded. <clears throat> and of course, it gives us pause to wonder. Why isn't the same critical analysis that he and other um, in the Mormon church, right. the, the, the details that they use to decry modern Mormon polygamy, but why isn't that same critical analysis and criteria used to verify or disprove Joseph Smith's claims of revelation and authority? Good question. And they were both, John Taylor and Joseph Smith, instrumental in keeping polygamy as a driving force in their Mormon belief system. This is a valid concern because there is definite double standard for determining truth from error in these accounts. About John Taylor's vision, we quote from page 133 of the book. Yeah, it says, <clears throat> the credibility of the Lauren Woolley story may be called into question on the basis that of the five men purportedly involved in the above-claimed transferal of priesthood authority, he was the only one who recorded the event. Further, his widely publicized recounting did not occur until 1929, long after the rest of those supposedly involved were dead, and five years after Woolley himself had been excommunicated from the church. So, Quite a time frame So, there. yeah, and, and Lauren Woolley was there. He was, Woolley, he was supposed to sure. have been part of, the, uh, of that meeting, the eight-hour meeting. So he wrote it down later. Now, the, the author here is calling into question the credibility of the vision and the meeting and the transferal of the priesthood authority to the polygamists and away from the LDS church yeah. because they rejected the new and everlasting covenant of plural marriage. But why can't we call into question the credibility of Joseph Smith's vision using the same complaints? Joseph Smith's vision has 10 different versions, which each include many contradictions. Many con contradictions. Joseph Smith didn't write down his vision until several years later, and, and he didn't have one single witness to support his claims. Now, the writer complains that it wasn't until years later that Taylor's vision in the meeting was publicized. Well, neither was Joseph Smith's. That's right. So why don't they complain about that? He complains that there was no credible witnesses to John Taylor's vision or the meeting. But Joseph Smith had no witnesses either. So why doesn't this Mormon man use the same critical analysis of Joseph Smith as he has used against John Taylor and John Woolley? We quote from page 134. Where are there records of these alleged proceedings? Why is there an account from only one participant? And why was that account not written until 43 years after the, quote, fact? <laughs> Wherein all such pretensions is compliance with the divine law of witnesses. Now, notice he says the divine law of witnesses. And later we're going to get into another quote where right. Joseph Smith required witnesses. Well, right. that's kind of a double standard right there. Uh, but we can ask the same questions of Joseph Smith. The first account Joseph Smith told of his alleged vision was in 1832, yet he supposedly had it when he was 16 years old. Why the delay in telling it? The official version currently uh, believed by Mormonism wasn't written until 1838, right. which was Pearl even years Price. later. Yeah. Yet there were six different accounts before that time, and they're all different from the other. And there were no witnesses. There were no witnesses who saw the gold plates either. 
Some of them said they saw them, but only with their spiritual eyes, not with their physical eyes. Yet they accept Joseph Smith's testimony without witnesses and question the fundamentalists because they have no witnesses. <laughs> Why the double standard? This is troubling, especially when we consider that it is Joseph Smith's polygamy that they are now condemning. We quote again from page 134. The prophet Joseph Smith likewise requ required witnesses. The special mission of Oliver Cowdery as second elder was to bear witness of priesthood restoration. The investiture of priesthood keys by Joseph Smith upon the Twelve Apostles was made known at a meeting of the Council of Fifty and their wives in the spring of 1844. Many of them left written and published testimonies of this event. Several testified of it many times throughout their lives. So, so he's bringing out one event as an example that there were witnesses, but there's many events in Joseph Smith's life where right. there was not one single witness at all, and yet his word is taken as scripture. He said Joseph Smith required witnesses. Really? Not for his own self, obviously. No. We quote from the CES letter, which you can find online at the address that we post after this quote. We do not have an actual document of actual signatures of the Book of Mormon witnesses. We just have a document in Oliver Cowdery's own handwriting of the names of the witnesses. We have a claim that there was a document of actual signatures and a claim that this document was, quote, placed in the cornerstone of the Nauvoo house, end of quote, and that it was also, quote, destroyed by water damage, end of quote, years later. So here we have a lot of ifs and, and, and what ifs and uh-oh, this happened too, uh, which took away any veracity yeah. uh, of what they're talking about. This is a glaring double standard, yeah, again, of the LDS critics of Mormon polygamy. They accept Joseph Smith's claims with no supporting evidence and reject polygamous claims because they have no evidence. John Taylor's vision to perpetuate polygamy is rejected, but Joseph Smith's revelation to start polygamy is accepted. That's right. And as we look at this history, we do need to keep in mind what early Mormon prophets warned about the LDS giving up polygamy. Yeah, from Joseph F. Smith. I understand the law of celestial marriage to mean that every man in this church who has the ability to obey and practice it, practice it in righteousness and will not shall be damned. I say I understand it to mean this and nothing less, and I testify in the name of Jesus that it does mean that. In other words, <laughs> do it or be damned. That's what he That's said. That's what he said. <laughs> and, and, and this is said by many. Uh, you know, this is just one quote yeah. of many from yeah. LDS church presidents and prophets. Many of them threatened that God would remove LDS church authority if they ever gave up polygamy. We have another quote. <laughs> From John Taylor in the Journal of Discourses, Joseph Smith told others, he told me, and I can bear witness of it, that if this principle was not introduced, this church and kingdom could not proceed. When this commandment was given, it was so far religious and so far binding upon the elders of this church that it was told them, told them that if they were not prepared to enter into it, and to stem the torrent of opposition that would come in consequence of it, the keys of the kingdom would be taken from them. When I see any of our people, men or women, opposing a principle of this kind, I have years ago set them down as on the high road to apostasy, and I do today. 
I consider them apostates and not interested in this church and kingdom. And the context that the principle he's talking about is plural marriage. And so obviously, according to him, a prophet and a president of the church, today's LDS church, has taken that high road to apostasy. Now, Lauren Woolley's account is further called into question by reason that it was a number of years when he did not even remember the alleged events. Woolley did say, however, that by 1929 he could recall what happened. Now, evidently, the forgetting and then the remembering was a device that Lauren Woolley used to justify the length of time before he told of the event. We quote from page 135. This forgetting and subsequent remembering was declared as a divine sign of the truth of the story and was used as an appeal to Daniel Bateman, who was persuaded to believe that he too had witnessed the events of 1886, but that they were promptly taken from him. He reports being told that much of the instruction he, John Taylor, was giving us would we, we would forget, but that at the proper time it would come back to us. On the strength of this alleged forgetting and remembering process, Bateman was induced to testify of events in which he was not personally involved. Wow. Now, isn't that convenient? (laughs) Remembering and forgetting. (laughs) A little divine input of of prophesying, remembering, and forgetting so their story can't be questioned. That just makes it more believable, right? That's true. That's true. I don't know. A member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, Elder John uh, A. Widstow, told of an incident where John Woolley actually admitted to the president of the LDS Church that there was no ordination by President Taylor to continue performing plural marriages. We quote from page 141. Now, I don't know if I believe this actually happened or not, but we still quote from the book. This is what he wrote on page 141 and 142. The president said, John, it has been brought to my attention that you have been performing plural marriages in the Salt Lake Temple. Is that correct? Brother Woolley, he said, rather hung his head and answered, yes, President Smith, I have. President Smith then looked directly at Brother Woolley and said, did President Taylor ordain you and others to carry on plural marriage independent of the church? Brother Woolley answered, President Smith, I've lied to others about this, but I cannot lie to you as the president of the church. No, he did not. Uh, that's pretty earth-shaking. At yeah. least in polygamy circles, it definitely would be yeah, earth-shaking. That if, would be, yeah. If it was really true. Now, whether or not the whole scenario was true, I, I doubt even from the very beginning. Oh, okay. I, even from Joseph Smith's vision, <laughs> I doubt. And I doubt John Taylor's vision. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right. So, But John Woolley admitting that that there was no um, passing on of the priesthood to to perform plural marriage. I can't believe that he would admit that that's not true because plural marriage was such an ingrained thing with these men. But anyway, the footnote of that quote indicates that it's from a statement uh, which can be found in the Brigham Young uh, Library Special Collections. Now, there are many names that are connected with the Mormon fundamentalist movement. Some are very well known, both then and now, and some are not so well known. Uh, the actual breakoff from the mainline LDS church began with John Taylor's vision. Lauren C. Woolley, who is the one we've been talking about here in our quotes, uh, he was there at the beginning. He was outside John Taylor's room when he said that John Taylor had the vision. But he was an early leader from which the FLDS can claim its roots. 
Now their names like Broadbent and Barlow and Musser, Allred and Kingston are all well-known names as being movers and shakers in the, the polygamy groups and there are still prominent names in these groups today and many of those, these men claim that they have also had special visions from God giving them the authority to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. In light of all this, I would like to bring back the verses that we quoted in our first part, part one of this topic from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So God has warned us in advance, Satan can and does appear as an angel of light. Now, whatever it was that John Taylor or Joseph Smith or the other men saw, we can't say. Yeah. But we do know it wasn't God. We do know it wasn't Jesus. John Taylor claimed in his all-night vision that Joseph Smith came and talked with him until midnight, that, that Joseph Smith had been resurrected. But he could not have seen and conversed with Joseph Smith because the dead don't return. We quote from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, Ecclesiastes 9, 5 through 6. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Now, that under the sun is the earth on this yeah. planet earth in this mortal life. That's what that means. Never again, it says, will the dead have any part in anything that happens under the sun, meaning that he <laughs> didn't come back. And, and, and Joseph Smith didn't come back because he was resurrected either. Uh, many in Mormonism believe Joseph Smith is resurrected. I was taught that growing up. I don't know what you were taught, but... Resurrected. I don't Joseph know. Smith has been resurrected. Yeah, I guess I did because I felt like he was uh, on his way to godhood and all that, so he'd mm -hmm. need to be resurrected for that, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, we were definitely taught that he was resurrected. He was ah. so righteous that he got resurrected. Um, but anyway, let's read, to prove that he hasn't been... Yeah, let's read let's First read Corinthians 15, <laughs> 21 and 23. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So it tells us the sequence of the resurrection right, right. there. It's very clear. Each in his own turn, Jesus Christ was resurrected first. Then when he comes, referring to his second coming, others will be resurrected, but not until then. Now, since Jesus hasn't returned, no one else has yet been resurrected, not even Joseph Smith. The Bible divides truth from error. We can find our answers there. It's really interesting how we can do that. The LDS criticisms of the alleged authority of the contemporary Mormon polygamy groups is particularly interesting when we read quotes like this one. Yeah, from page 154, it says, in, It seems strange that devout and intelligent Latter-day Saints have been and are being led astray by the specious and presumptuous claims of Lauren Woolley. <clears throat> Those followers claim that the higher order of things was withheld from the saints who were unable to accept them. Thus, fundamentalists hide behind a cloak of public subterfuge and innuendo. It is because of their misguided persistence in living the suspended laws of consecration and plural marriage 
that fundamentalists seem willing to close their eyes to the plain statements of continued revelation and church history. It seems they would rather believe a fabrication that appeals to their senses than investigate and accept the truth. Did you see that? Yeah. He said that of today's polygamists. It seems that they would rather believe a fabrication that appeals to their senses than investigate and accept the truth. And we agree. But rejecting the truth and, and believing in fabrications is precisely what the early and the present day LDS church is guilty of. Uh -huh. The Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham have been proven to be a fraud beyond any doubt. But the LDS refused to accept the truth. They would rather believe a fabrication. Oh, boy, don't I know it. <laughs> <laughs> we both have the same experience with the same, yeah, the same ideas, only just different facets of it. The writer then goes on to quote, and this I find this so interesting that this Mormon writer is quoting from the Bible about the polygamous, yeah. applying it to the polygamy, and it applies just as glaringly to the, to the LDS the church. church. Yeah, this is from 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And from 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now he applies these verses to polygamists. But he cannot see that they also apply to Mormonism from its very beginning until this very day. The spiritual blindness is almost unbelievable. Anderson continues to write about spiritual seduction of the polygamists. Hmm. What spirit could be more seducing than one which pretends that the Lord sanctions illicit plural marriages under the guise of un unverifiable secret authority? when the right to practice this principle has been divinely and publicly withdrawn. Now, if plural marriages were illicit in today's polygamy groups, they were illicit in Joseph Smith's times too. For sure. That's right. But can we, we can rightfully ask the question of Joseph Smith and his polygamy. When was plural marriage ever verified or even commanded by God? When does God suspend eternal lives, lie, <laughs> eternal yeah. laws, yeah. which he claims that he has done with polygamy? Uh, and they claim eternal, polygamy is an eternal law. What witnesses were there when God allegedly gave Smith the revelation to live polygamy? And what witnesses were there when Joseph Smith allegedly had the threatening visit of an angel with a flaming sword to start living polygamy or he'd kill him? None. Joseph Smith himself was seduced by a seducing spirit. He preached unbiblical ideas using unverifiably, unverifiable usurped authority. He was doing the very thing the author is criticizing the fundamentalists of doing. And we have another quote from Anderson's book. Yeah, this is kind of so interesting. Heresies are false doctrines which lead men from the truth and from salvation. Now, we could do another show right now. <laughs> full half hour that would talk about every false doctrine yeah. and heresy that the LDS church teaches. Yeah, 
Are we good? And every major doctrine of the Mormon faith is heretical false doctrine that has led and continues to lead millions from the truth and from eternal life. And that's why we do this show to reveal the heresies of Joseph Smith and pray that viewers will check them out for themselves. The Mormon church and the Mormon fundamentalists all cling to Joseph Smith, believing he was a prophet of God. Gordon Hinckley once said that if the first vision wasn't true, then all of Mormonism is not true, and he was absolutely right. Yet not a single one of the ten versions of Joseph Smith's vision agrees (laughs) with each other, right? Right. And finally, Joseph Smith and John Taylor were both presidents of the LDS Church, Both were highly revered and are highly revered by the Mormon people as presidents and prophets of what they call the saints. However, their visions have no solid foundation and they fly against all that the Bible and biblical Christians hold as solid and orthodox teachings. God does not speak to us through Joseph Smith. He does not speak to us through John Taylor or through the modern prophets, any modern prophet, whether they're LDS or fundamentalist prophets. He doesn't speak to us through them. He speaks to us only through Jesus Christ. We quote from Hebrews. Yeah, this was a big impactful uh, scripture for me. Uh, one, chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, I would suggest, you know, that you get into Hebrews and read the whole thing. Read the whole but, thing yeah. but that, and that's exactly what he's saying. Now, Jesus is, has already spoken. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, Jesus has spoken. said he used to speak through the prophets, and now it's through Jesus. Yep. He, in the Old Testament, in old times, he spoke through the prophets right. in, in, in various ways. But now he speaks to us through Jesus Christ, who is called the Word the Word of God. And that's where we find God's will, and that's where we find God's way, and only those who believe God are God's people. You know, I'd never heard of this 1886 uh, John Taylor vision. I'd never heard of that before. And you say it's it's very well known in fundamentalist Oh, it's it's the foundation for the fundamentalist movement. It definitely is. Now, I, I don't believe he had the vision. Yeah, but I, don't I mean, believe it overrode 1890 when they had the... Well, it was before 1890. Right, but I mean, it, it overrode that uh, manifesto time. Well, well they were they, talking about the manifesto right. at that time when Joseph Smith, or when John Taylor had his vision. Oh, they were talking manifesto, yeah. Oh, were they? Uh, it was because the, the, the government was coming up against Mormons for disobeying the laws right. and refusing to give up polygamy. So they were talking about what they could do to get them off their backs. So and manifesto was coming up, but, but it wasn't a definite you know, wording and stuff like that. They yeah. didn't know what to say. So John Taylor has this vision, co- convenient vision to, yeah. to secretly let polygamy continue to go. Through, that, through, the, through the vision, yeah. and, and he, by him claiming that Joseph Smith was there and that Jesus Christ was there, right. that gives it all the credibility, credibility yeah. that he needs. Interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. And those five men in that eight-hour eight meeting absolutely um, started the Mormon fundamentalists. Wow. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate your help, and I know it's all very interesting, and I hope our viewers enjoyed it. You know, over and over again, the Bible warns us again uh, against listening to or following false prophets. In the days before Israel was taken into exile in Babylon, God sent His prophets to teach the people not to listen to those who claim God says when God clearly did not speak through them. Everything anyone says must be verified by God's written word, the Bible. We've been accused of placing too much emphasis on the Bible, yet that's what Jesus did. And Jesus quoted from almost every book in the Old Testament. Jesus believed and trusted it. And he said, that's where we can find eternal life. If he can trust it, why can't we? There's no other place that eternal truths can be found. And as we said, Jesus Christ is the Word, and He alone is the only source for God's truths. And God told the people to listen to Jesus. He never said, listen to Joseph. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.